1: tonight what's gonna happen we're gonna whoop their. have you gotten yet? welcome into the diamond Balls podcast on govols247.com i am ben mckee joined by wes rucker and former tennessee pitcher former tennessee two-way player will heflin on the podcast this morning a wednesday morning there is a lot going on on rocky top at the moment Uh, tennessee basketball had an ugly loss on tuesday night to south carolina tennessee athletics is under fire from the ncaa but now the ncaa is under fire from the university of tennessee the state of tennessee bordering states and i'm sure others will jump on the bandwagon as well, and we will have a podcast this week tomorrow, uh, recapping the Tennessee basketball loss and everything going on with Tennessee athletics as well, and the NIL situation with the NCAA. That that podcast is coming, I promise. But we also promised another baseball preview podcast on this Wednesday morning, and that is why we are convening through the interwebs to bring you that podcast on this Wednesday, January thirty first morning. Uh, Wes, Will gets to get asked how he's doing first. So, Will, how are you doing, my friend?
2: Curveball there. I'm okay. I wanted to gouge my eyeballs out watching that basketball game last night. <laughs>
1: Wes did, too. Uh, Pat Adams officiates
2: and it, and the Vols are struggling offensively. And South Carolina is like one of those – when you think of Tennessee rivals – They're not in the top three, but for whatever reason, they're just like a thorn in our side in, in multiple sports. And their fans are the worst in baseball. They're like the most angry fans, great fan base in terms of, you know, numbers, but I just, I'm, I'm not a fan of South Carolina. Well, I'll put, I don't like anybody else in the sec, but the last three years, South Carolina has climbed my list in terms of don't likes. Um, and so that's my that's my only negative spiel for the day. Uh, but other than that, doing well, you know, fully into the work week, rocking and rolling there. Um, it's nice to have a little bit of warmth rolling in town. Um, hopefully get out and play around of golf this weekend. Uh, but other than that, good. Not too much new. Just um enjoying basketball season. Uh frustrating as it may be. Wes, how are you?
1: Well, hold on, Wes. I, I wanna know, Wes, can you announce your presence? In the same way on this podcast, as Pat Adams announced his presence inside of Thompson Bowling Arena last night, uh,
0: I don't think so because we don't have any cuss filters on here. Uh, actually, we do. I can probably just hit the buttons, but you know, if I'm if I'm going to go out there and pat it up, then I'm going to get cussed at a lot, probably. Um, no, I, I it's interesting. You know, yeah. I, I said last night before I went to bed, I. I think I put out a tweet that I was like, you know, about 16 or 17 hours ago, I woke up and had a cup of coffee and did a couple of radio interviews and thought it would kind of just be a normal old Tuesday. You know, you, you just kind of, you never know, right? You never know in this business. You never know on this beat. Uh, you never know what, when, uh, a day is just gonna kind of hit you like, wow, did not expect any of that yesterday, but, uh, head on a swivel, right? That's, uh, be prepared for anything.
1: Absolutely. And, Uh, It's also been another busy Wednesday morning as the Tennessee Attorney General and the Commonwealth of Virginia have now sued the NCAA, and we will see if other schools get involved, or uh, other states, I should say, get involved within that lawsuit. Uh, Randy Boyd, Governor Bill Lee, Danny White, they've voiced their support on social media this morning. Uh, We have all those facts up on multiple stories on the site. Uh, so I encourage you to check that out if uh, you are out of the loop. And as I mentioned, we will be back tomorrow with a podcast breaking that all down. Been a crazy week, so trying to stick to our podcast schedule as best as possible, although I know that is pressing news and, and people want as much of that news as as they can get, and it is coming here at Govals 24-7, I promise. But we are meeting over this Zoom to preview Tennessee's Infield, just Camden Sewell days away from first pitch. And it it's an interesting infield, Wes. I, I, I think you we'll, – we'll go position by position, but starting with general thoughts, my, my general thought is, is pretty simple. You, you know what you're going to get for the most part, but two of the most important, if not the two most important positions – on the field, shortstop and catcher; uh, th- those are the two spots within the infield that are up for grabs and, and a question mark at this point.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot more good than bad there in terms of talent and some other things. I mean, I think it's a really, really, really talented group of of guys. Uh, the, I think they've they've uh, upgraded talent, pure talent in some areas. They've added some really nice pieces. Uh, We'll see how they mesh together, but yeah, I mean, when you know, I mean, Will could answer to this better than I could, but you know, you're a catcher. I mean, you're a pitcher. You 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 want your you want your catcher and your shortstop to be known quantities. You want them to be you want you want to know who they are. You want to know uh, their their full names, their uh, dates of birth, their likes, their dislikes. uh, You know their personalities. You want to know those guys pretty well, and you want to trust those guys um, because those two guys are as responsible or probably more responsible than anyone else other than yourself for your success behind the mound. I mean, you know, on the mound, it, it, it's just, you got, you got to be good there. You can't just be okay there. You got to be good there. Look at the teams who went to Omaha last season, right? I mean, Ben, you and know, I sat there and watched every game until, you know, the final couple games there, basically. How good was every freaking shortstop in that tournament last year? Those, those eight teams, to a to a man had excellent, excellent, not good, excellent shortstops. You got to be good there. You have to be good there, really good. So yeah, they got to figure that part out. But in terms of the 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 overall talent, a snapshot from last year to this year, the roster, it's in a better position, I think, in the infield.
1: Well, when when you we'll start with the positions that we don't assume who the starter is going to be and uh, we'll come back on the other side of the intermission on the podcast and and talk about the guys that we assume are going to start and are pretty much Penciled in maybe even sharpied in Uh, shortstop Is the spot that's kind of been up for grabs the last several years. I mean You and I talked about it on on this podcast last year along with Wes not not to exclude Wes uh, disrespectfully, but uh, we talked last year on the, on the pod of, I mean Tennessee's had a different shortstop. How many years running now? And it, every, it, year, it, every year,
2: every year Vitello has been at the helm. He's had a different shortstop.
1: Which, on the surface, like if you didn't know anything about the program the last couple of years, you would hear that and say, "Oh, that's probably not a good thing." That you had a different shortstop every single season because that that is one of the positions on the field where you want some cohesion and and some carryover from year to year. Uh, But it has not been an issue because the staff has done a great job of identifying talent out of the the junior college ranks or the transfer portal and and bringing in guys that can be instant impact players. And they have lost a couple of guys to the draft that probably – would have been multi-year starters. Um, Brady House never really had an option of of getting to campus, and and he was probably more of a third baseman anyways, Uh, but he is somebody who could have played shortstop. Uh, But the the big ones I think of are are guys like Ryan Spikes, who if if he makes it to campus last year, maybe not starting over Maui, but he's somebody that would have been a multi-year starter. Ah, uh, Carson Rucker would have had a great chance to be a, a multi-year starter at shortstop as well but they've managed to get by with um the Ricky Martinezes and the Liam Spences and Maui and Cortland Lawson and it, it'll be interesting to see how the dominoes fall at that position this year because there are a couple of guys who if they won the job it, it's a it's a one-year thing maybe a two-year thing but there's also some guys in the mix who if they were to win the job, they would be a multi-year starter more likely than not for the first time in the Tony Vitello era. So it's a complicated conversation because there are so many moving pieces at that position. Uh, I'll quickly just lay out the the options at shortstop and let you kind of take it over from there and, and give your overall thoughts on the position. Uh, you have Christian Moore who could technically move over from second base to shortstop, uh, but we'll see how – We'll see if that comes to fruition. Uh, yesterday, watching the scrimmage, Christian Moore, I showed up and he was out in left field. And then the next inning, he was working at shortstop. And then the next inning, he was working in center field. The next inning, he was working at second base. So it's very possible that he could end up being the everyday shortstop, but it looks like he's going to bounce around a good bit. Uh, you have the freshman, Ariel Antigua, who I wrote in the infield preview that I wrote last week. I, I – from people I spoke to thought it was his job to lose when he came back from Christmas break, even with him being a freshman. Uh, But his wrist, right wrist, his throwing wrist is in a cast right now, a brace. Uh, He's dealing with a little bit of a strain. I don't believe that it's anything serious, but he's not practicing right now. So hard to envision him being the opening day starter. If he's not practicing uh, two and a half, three weeks out from first pitch, uh, so that leaves you with another freshman, Dean Curley, who has started multiple positions. It also or can play multiple positions. He also worked at uh, first base a little bit yesterday, if I remember correctly, and, and worked a little bit at third uh, as well. Um, you also have Brad Key who is a JUCO signee. You have Alex Perry, who is a JUCO signee. And I really liked what Alex Perry did at the end of fall practice. But he's dealing with a bit of a hamstring injury right now and was not practicing the last couple of days and and that hamstring injury has been a bit of an issue for him uh, as it relates to going back to the fall Uh, so hard to envision him like I said with Ariel if he's not practicing right now hard to envision him being the opening day shortstop so there's several options but all of a sudden those options are are a little banged up and and it'll be interesting to see seems like it's it's most likely Bracky Lowry Christian Moore or um, Dean Curley at this point, just because of the the injuries to Antigua and and Alex Perry.
2: Yeah, and to Wes's point about being strong up the middle, um, it's it's about as close as we can get in our sport to point guard in basketball. You never see a Final Four team without a really strong ball handler and and facilitator, and then there's no position more important in sports than quarterback. So, um I would say the middle as a whole, catcher, pitcher, middle infield and center maybe combines to be kind of like the the quarterback of of a football team, but you've got to be good there and and we certainly are and you know, a little I'll take us back on a little Tennessee baseball history. We mentioned that we haven't had the same shortstop each year. And that's because they've all been drafted after their junior year. So, Batello's first year, Andre Lipsius played shortstop. He was a sophomore. Would have been a multi-year starter. He moves to third. Ricky Martinez plays shortstop in 19. They both get drafted. And then uh, Liam Spence, I guess he was a two-year starter because he was there uh, 2020 COVID season gets canceled, gets drafted after the 21-year. Cortland Lawson steps in, gets drafted after his first year starting. Um, and then last year, obviously Maui. So it's been a revolving door, but it's been more of a reload rather than a rebuild. Um, and so like you said, it's kind of interesting that, that some of the leaders in the clubhouse per se are a little bit banged up because the way the schedule is set up is like the first weekend is such a good opportunity to solidify a role. Against that high level of competition, you know, if you start opening day against Texas Tech, make all the plays, get a couple knocks, contribute, um, you know, more than just defensively, it's probably yours until you until you lose it. But we may not we may not be solidified at that position until um, you know a couple weeks in, at least, and that makes it a little tough because you you kind of want to sure that up as quickly as possible. Um, there's there's certain positions that maybe you have a little bit longer, like a pitching staff, you kind of tweak and, and you know, experiment a little bit as the season goes on. But we also were without Maui last year, so they'll they'll figure it out. Um, but it it's, it's awfully important and it's one that you can't really afford to miss. Um, and I'm OK with a freshman if it ends up being a freshman and they can do it then good deal, you know, Um, but it's, it's gotta be defense first at that position. And that's probably the only one that I would fully commit to saying that Um, just knowing how Frank Anderson views your shortstop and and how important it is at the SEC level as well. Um, There's just so many good SEC SEC shortstops from a physicality perspective. You've got to be able to cover a ton of ground, make some ridiculous throws, I mean, those throws from the six hole, throwing out really good athletes, um, are, are just invaluable. It's, it's huge and Maui could do it. And certainly the guys before him could do it. So you gotta, you gotta take all that into account and then perform offensively. We know what we'll get from Christian, uh, offensively. So he can certainly, you know, step in from, from that side of things, or he can just play somewhere else. He's going to be in the lineup anyways. Um, but for me, it's defense first, and then, you know, anything you get offensively on top of that is a bonus.
0: Yeah, I, I thought, you know, guys can guys can change a tremendous amount in a year, and I don't want to dismiss that possibility, right? I mean, in every sport out there that you, you see a new season will start, and you can quickly see – now, normally, everybody on the team would have seen it throughout the offseason, season. But like those of us who just are kind of there for games and some practices here and there, you show up for a new season and sometimes guys can look just completely different physically, psychologically, mentally, all that stuff. With that said, I really, I really went into the offseason thinking, I don't know that I would want Christian Moore to be the everyday shortstop just yet. Um, Because... Athletically, there is absolutely no question that he can do it. Like he is twitchy, he's fast, he's got a good enough arm, but he just sort of—it seems like he's just not always there in terms of being present in the moment defensively. Like he'll get a little bit, you know, not paying attention or not dialed in or or just something, and you won't be as just as locked down, solid as you really want your shortstop to be. Now, having said that, he could have spent the entire offseason completely changing in that way, and he shows up, and it's like, boom, okay, different guy. So I don't want to talk out of my posterior here and and, and not know the actual situation, because he could be the guy. But I just thought throughout last year, and I probably wasn't the only one, but I'm the only one in my own head here. So I just didn't think I wanted, for Tennessee's sake, for him to be the shortstop. But if it turns out that he has to be the shortstop, that that's okay. That's okay. I mean, they can probably still, you know, be all right there. But you just, I, I'd have felt much more comfortable with him at second or left or somewhere else. So I'm interested to see if he ends up being the guy, or if they have somebody else kind of step up and take that role, because that that to me is a big deal. Because offensively, dude, he's he'd be an incredible offensive offensive shortstop. Um, but that's the one position to Will's point even more so in my in my opinion even more than catcher. That's the part where you just you really have to be good because the amount of runners that you will let on during the course of a game if you're not good there is more than anywhere else because there's those throws from the 5.5 hole, you know from the 4.5 hole that, that are just really 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 tough place to make laterally, tough plays with the arm and so 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 many things that if you are not on point there all the time, it is just so much harder to win a game. Like we saw last night in basketball, just how different things were for Tennessee when Zakai Ziegler wasn't awesome. He's almost always awesome in every single game. He's just awesome. And one game, he just wasn't very good, and look what happened. So that's all it takes at shortstop. If you're just not good that changes the entire game at the snap of a finger. So I'm interested to see if SEMO, if it ends up being him, if he's ready for that role, and because he's, I think he's talented enough to do it. Uh, even though he's more of a natural second baseman than a shortstop, I still think he could do it. I just want to see if it ends up being him, if he's mentally locked in to do it.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting you bring that up because, and for one, I'm a huge SEMO fan, so I'm yeah. 100% biased and I'll admit that. But I do remember um, – I don't know if it was a Fall a World Series interview or maybe just one of the, the media availabilities that V has done in the past couple of months, but he has talked about SEMO in the locker room and SEMO off the field and how much growth he's seen there just from a maturity standpoint. And you're naturally going to get it from an 18-year-old to a 20, 21-year-old. Mm-hmm. You're going to mature a little bit, but he seemed to – he seemed to emphasize how much how different Semo is just in the way he carries himself around the facility, and that stuff carries over. I mean, it really does. And you're exactly right on the mental discipline and just the, the taxing nature of that position. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if he can do it. I would bet on him rather than against him. Um, but that's just an interesting tidbit, and I, I did want to point out that V said that, so I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if they gave him. Um, the nod to begin with and kind of see go from there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a, a really good point. There is no doubt that Simo needed to to mature uh, early in, in his career. And uh, Tony beat around the bush over the course of several media availabilities in his first two seasons, Simo's first two seasons, about how he uh, didn't necessarily handle failure all that well and if he struck out at the plate. Uh, let it spiral i mean there have been <laughs> examples that everybody could see uh, him in the box not budging on a, a ball that he feels is just off the plate just won't swing at it
0: he just won't touch it he won't even glance
1: at it no he, he will not and and so just little things like like that and uh just he, he needed to mature and, and that's okay we all needed to mature at, at that age and and Some form or fashion, and I think he has really matured. And uh, just for me being around the team in a media capacity, I can tell a difference in Semo going into his junior season compared to freshman Semo when he was getting at bats behind Jarrell and Cortland and and some DH uh, bats. He 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 has matured. You can you can tell he has taken on a leadership role, and and I do feel feel like that is going to really pay dividends and. Um, I, I feel like he is the the fallback plan at, at shortstop. He is the if if like Wes described, if nobody else steps up and, and takes it, then uh, Simo can can slide over and he's capable of getting the job done at shortstop. It's just to what level is he going to get the job done? at shortstop, they're, they're not going to stick him at shortstop and, and he's booting balls yeah. left and right. He's just also probably not going to be as much of a vacuum as Maui was last year or Cortland Lawson two years ago or Liam Spence, so on and, and so forth. Uh, can he play shortstop to that level? I don't know. I know he's not going to be a liability, but can he be an elite shortstop like some of these guys over the last couple of years have been? I don't know. Uh, I do get the sense that there's a feeling that if Ariel Antigua was able to to grab the bull by the horns and take the job, then that is probably Tennessee at its best because then you can keep SEMO over there at second base and Ariel is very, very talented and, and very gifted. Uh, but again, as I mentioned, I just don't know how much this little strain that he's dealing with, how much that's going to impact him leading up to opening day. Again, it doesn't appear to be a serious injury, uh, but just something that, uh, he's currently dealing with and when you're trying to win a job that that doesn't help you win that job when you're 16 days away uh, from first pitch and the same goes for for Alex Perry as as well. So if I had to, to place a bet on January 31st to the opening day shortstop is going to be in Arlington, it, it would it would be one of the three of CMO Dean Curley, Bracky Lowry, I, I do think they like Bracky Lowry uh, more at second base. Uh, he, he has a, a game very similar to Seth Stevenson I, I feel like uh, a little more stocky than than Seth was uh, but a a speedster and and a, a really nice solid bat at the plate uh, who makes fairly consistent contact from when I've been out there and uh he, he is an option at shortstop but I also I think Dean Curley is a, a realistic option as well given the injuries. Uh, I, I thought he was going to be more of a depth piece. But if they're banged up, then then I think he has a legit shot to be the opening day shortstop, depending on what they want to do with SEMO. Uh, anybody who followed my coverage of fall practice knows that I uh, had glowing reviews of Dean Curley uh, throughout the fall. And uh, he's arguably my favorite freshman of the bunch. He's just a good Old fashioned baseball player who can play multiple positions and and just seems to do everything well. Uh, I don't know if he has that one elite trait, but he just does everything well. And uh, yesterday he he looked good over at shortstop when when he was repping and uh, also smoked two doubles in, into the gap as as well. So he, he can really swing it and he looks fairly comfortable. Uh, has, has a very has that Cali vibe to him. He's from Cali and he has the the stereotypical Cali vibe to him. And and I think that's something that the coaches really, really like about him is that he doesn't really ever get flustered and uh, just kind of has a cool, calm confidence to him. And I think that's paying off well for him. And and I think he has a real shot uh, to potentially earn a a starting role on opening day. If he can continue to swing the bat and uh, pick it the way I've seen him pick it uh, up, up until this point. So something to keep an eye on moving forward. That is certainly a big question mark uh, surrounding this team. Uh, the catcher's position is also a, a big question mark, Wes, uh, but it does seem like Tennessee is is going to start the season off by platooning in some capacity uh, Cal Stark and Cannon Peebles. Uh, Tennessee really likes Cal behind the plate, and, and rightfully so. He, he is talented defensively, uh, but Cannon Peebles, as Tony Vitello told the media last week, that's just a bat that's going to be really, really hard to keep out of the lineup. Kenny Peebles is one of the best bats in the lineup. He has an edge to him. Uh, Tony loves that about him. Uh, it, it's even been mentioned to me that he's got a little Drew Gilbert to him in, in terms of the, the fiery nature and, and the edge and, and how he ticks a little bit different. Uh, I I believe Tony said publicly at one point uh, that he also has a little bit of Connor Pavloni in him to where he is just constantly obsessed with his craft and, and getting better. Uh, so I I think that he'll get more DH at-bats than catcher at-bats the first couple of games. But in some capacity, him and Cal Stark are going to platoon. And, and Tony talked for a good minute uh, about how they play 56 games. They're not going to wear one catcher down. They have plenty of catchers. They don't need to wear one guy down and have them out there for almost all 56 games. So you're going to see multiple guys back there. But I do think Cal Stark and uh, Cannon Peebles, uh, they are going to be the the main ones to start the season in in some form of platoon.
0: Yeah, every time we hear something, at least to me, everyone else could take it however they want to take it, but the interpretation I get consistently, maybe this is in my own head, maybe this is extrapolating what others have said and sort of expanding on it, whatever it is, it, it feels like Cal Stark's kind of trying to hold off a freight train. Really is what it is what it feels like, and and Cal Stark is a guy who I I still believe in. I think he's a good player. I, mean, I think I think he he's got. I don't know if he's ever. He's not going to be like a three fifty hitter or anything, but I mean the dude can. He's got some. He's had some big hits in his career for for a catcher, and he's had some moments. He's also had some 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 tough streaks there behind the uh you know behind the plate. But as a as a receiver as a thrower, he's a solid 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 catcher and. He's just a he's a solid player. He's a guy you want in your locker room. Everybody in the the program feels a certain type of way about him for a reason. You know the when everybody feels that way, there's usually a reason for that, right? You know if if the pitchers like it when the guys behind the plate, you know that that there's usually a reason for that. Uh, but everything we know about Peebles is just it's just everything you hear sounds good, man. Everything you hear sounds like okay got a big big stick okay he's working really hard as a catcher okay Uh, he's got a a little bit of a vibe and a swag about him okay just everything you hear you're like hmm this sounds really good you know sounds really really good so we'll see uh it wouldn't surprise me if they do go with uh, a a big uh, platoon at first and then kind of let that situation sort itself throughout the course of the season but I just you know you bring in Peebles and you you have an expectation when you bring in a guy who played that well at NC State and I just you know he's going to be in the lineup no matter what and I think there might be enough bats in the outfield and in other places in the infield where one of those guys has to be the DH which then could maybe put Peebles behind the plate more as the season progresses. I just think by the end of the season, if Peebles is healthy, he's probably the guy taking most of the of the reps there, but that we're sitting here saying that on January thirty first, so who knows?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And every team is gonna play at least two early on, because like V said, you you really don't want to wear a guy's legs out, especially early. But then when you get into you know deeper into conference play and certainly when you're making a run in June and July, um you want consistency back there. Um, so it'll be it'll be one guy's job by the end of it, but certainly both will have the opportunity to contribute. And Stark kind of reminds me of Landon Gray a little bit, if anybody remembers that mm-hmm. name. Mm-hmm. Um came in from the junior college in Texas, Weatherford, and was just an unbelievable locker room guy and could really play too. Left-handed bat. So it it kind of contrasted Pavelone a little bit, and there was a perfect marriage there. I mean, they were they were friends, um, but also competed against each other. And I feel like they really made each other better and both played really well trying to get innings and everybody benefited from it. Um, especially the coaching staff, but ultimately you knew it was, it was Pavloni who just, you know, he has, he had the cannon arm. He had a little bit more juice in the bat. And so as the season went on, it was more Pavloni, but having a second catcher is extremely vital. Um, and you know, after shortstop, I would say that's the the second position that you can get more playing time um as a defender. So, you know, certainly Cal will will contribute, but I just don't see a world in in where Peebles isn't a guy in the lineup every single day. Um, especially as we move further along down the road. Um, especially with so many left-handed left-handed bats in the outfield and and Peebles is a switch hitter. Um, and so he, he adds that dynamic to where, you know, if you're seeing a righty, you're going to have another lefty in the lineup. And if you're seeing a lefty, you've got another right-handed bat in the lineup. It's just, it makes too much sense not to see it going that way. Um, but like you said, you need, you need guys like Cal Stark and Landon Gray and, and will Heflin's in your locker room to, did I just name drop myself? Wow. Yeah,
0: you need, you need Will Heffens in, in the clubhouse. You, you need
2: him. You need you need guys that are just you know maybe not the most athletically gifted, but they're funny, they're smart, they're leaders, you know, and ultimately they can they can contribute in a multitude of ways. So I've been around Cal Stark; he's a good dude, so certainly going to cheer for him. Um, but 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 Peebles is his next level talent, um, and so certainly he'll be. He'll be uh, the guy when we get to uh, June and July.
0: Also, can't remember a a time Ben where they've had or will where they've had four or five guys who really could, in a spot, be a decent catcher for you. Like they've got guys who have. I mean, you know, Bargo played a lot of catcher when he was at Mizzou. I mean, they've got they've got other guys on that team who who can catch, and that's you know. I mean, I guess the years Dickey was there, they had another option there, but. I mean, I don't think they've ever had a year where there have been four or five guys who you really could be like, you know what? Push came to shove. You could do worse at catcher than that guy.
2: Yeah, and that's a that's a long way removed from having one option in it being Evan Russell who transitioned from left field, ended up doing a great job and yeah. probably made that season. It um, was probably the most underrated aspect of the historical run that that team made. It's like, if you don't have a catcher, you're not doing that, especially mm-hmm. with that pitching staff that he had to try to corral um, all the time catching Ben Joyce and Doe Lander and and a young beam and Burns. I mean, that was that was impressive as it gets. So catch is certainly important, but to your point, we haven't had the depth that we have there. Um, so if we're unfortunate and have an injury or two, um then we'll be able to to move on and and also, you know, kind of steady the tide until guys get healthy as well.
1: Yeah, Dalton Bargo is a guy that is going to play as well. And the, the question with him is just where is he going to play? We kind of talked about that last week on the outfield preview, and that's something to also consider uh, when we're breaking down who's going to start at shortstop, who's going to play the majority of, of the time at, at catcher. There's so many moving parts with this team because so many guys can play so many different positions. Uh, again, I mentioned it earlier. Semo was playing left, center, short, and second yesterday during their scrimmage Blake Burke was playing first base and right field Dean Curley was playing shortstop and first base uh there were multiple guys so so many guys playing multiple positions that like I would have to go back and check my notes to make sure I don't forget somebody Bargo was in I I believe I saw him in left field right field third base and first base. And he caught over the weekend in one of their scrimmages. So, I mean, he, he's working at five different positions, and he can also be the DH if if you need him to. So uh, Dalton Bargo's a guy that's going to play. It's just a matter of where is he going to play. And I think other guys are going to have have a lot to say about where Bargo plays. If If any of those young outfielders that we talked about last week, if they get off to a slow start, then, okay, maybe Bargo – ends up in, in one of the corner outfield spots. Now I wonder about Bargo's defensive ability out there, but he is capable of being stuck out there if you want his bat in the lineup. So if one of those young outfielders struggle, that's a spot that Bargo could end up playing more than than another spot. Uh, I don't anticipate Billy Amick or Blake Burke struggling, but if if those two guys get hurt, then then that could be where where Bargo plays uh and again i mean he he is he's kind of the third catcher uh in, in my opinion um, my my final thought with peebles and i guess the catching position as a whole in terms of who is actually behind the plate because i do think peebles is going to be in the lineup just about every day it's just a matter of is he catching or is he the dh he, he's going to be one of Tennessee's best bats in the lineup you're not going to take him out un- unless he's hurt or something along those lines how how much do, do they trust him defensively? That, that that's a question that I don't really know the answer to. Maybe I need to ask somebody uh, about where they feel like he he's at defensively. Um, but if how how much are they willing to give up defensively from Cal to Peebles to where they would stick Peebles behind the plate to make sure that his bat was in the lineup? That that to me is the biggest question at catcher right now.
2: That's probably a Frank Anderson question. He will uh... <laughs> well. I, I can assure may you an answer but if he does it would be about as blunt as you can be and, correct and be honest and, but you may yeah. not get an answer out of
1: them, no so. the problem is I I can't ask Frank a question because Frank wants absolutely nothing to do with media at, at this point in his career yep and uh <laughs> avoids us like the plague and and so I don't know that that question is going to be asked to Frank well he's, I have to ask, which somebody sucks to ask because Frank he's for such me. a
0: fun guy when you actually talk to him my god he's a fun guy to talk to it's like can you just pretend a couple of us are not reporters and just talk man like you know
2: it's i think he's so uh paranoid about being canceled and fired and saying something off off offline that he just he doesn't want to fool with it and he's at the point in his career where he can do that Yep. And so maybe maybe we get Richard Jackson to translate. Be like, hey, Richard, what what would Frank say if I asked him this question, <laughs> and he were willing to answer? Richard idea. will tell you. Great idea. He can he can probably do it in Frank's voice too.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm gonna have to to figure out that that answer. What what would, what would Frank say about Cannon defensively? I, I don't know that Cannon would want to know that answer because of how blunt uh, Frank can be. But uh, they they certainly have plenty of depth. You still have Charlie Taylor. Hey, Charlie, he hit a. He had a homer yesterday in the scrimmage as well, snuck on in uh, the left field line into the porches. So uh, you've had worse number three, number four catchers than, than Charlie Taylor. That, that is for sure. And, and uh, Chuck talking about the locker room guys, Chuck is the epitome of a locker room guy. Everybody in that program absolutely adores Charlie Taylor. And um, he, he, in a pinch, he is more than serviceable and uh, capable of, of helping this team out. Uh, Stone Lawless is the other catcher that we have not mentioned. He's he's the true freshman. He has a very bright future, uh, but I, I do wonder if he will redshirt this season just because he does have four catchers in front of him in Peebles, Stark, Taylor, and Bargo. So uh, maybe they keep him on the active roster. Uh, they they do have quite the numbers crunch coming up, uh, so, so we'll see if – whether or not he redshirts this year, but but he is somebody that they are very, very excited about. Big-time power in the bat, big-time arm strength behind the plate. He's a big kid. Uh, it, it is very fitting that his name is Stone because he is built like a stone uh, behind the plate. And Tennessee got a little bit lucky with getting him to campus as well. Uh, he dealt with a labrum injury his junior year of high school, and uh, Tennessee feels like that kind of led to him not being – valued by the MLB draft probably the way that he should have been because high school catchers who, who have the, the power in the bat like him and the arm strength behind the plate, they typically don't make it to campus, uh, but Stone did, and, and they are very, very excited about his
0: future. How, but how just, stupid has it been that someone like Stone Lawless is maybe redshirting at Tennessee? How, how crazy have things gotten to that program where a catcher who probably was an injury away from being drafted – is like, hey, you're just, you might redshirt your first year. You know, there's there's other a lot of guys here. How, what kind of a program have those guys built? It's just nuts.
1: It, it uh, is very, very stupid. And uh, what's also, what, what's even more stupid is th- there's more catchers coming behind Stone. There, there's two in uh, the the current class, not the one that just signed, but the 2025 class. I believe it is. No, it's the 2024 class. I'm sorry. They did. They did just sign two of the the top catchers in the entire country are, are coming. One's over at Beard and Brooks Wright, mm-hmm. and then the the Levi Clark kid from Georgia, is one of the the country's top catchers uh, as well. So they they should be locked and loaded at catcher for for the many years for many years to come. Um, so it it is very dumb. That that a guy like Stone Lawless, who they would have killed to have at, at the beginning of Tony's tenure, there, there's several guys that we have talked about that that we've mentioned. Oh, you know, hard to envision having a role, may not play a ton. We've we've mentioned several guys that they they would have killed to have their first couple of years on campus, and, and now there's just not a not enough at bats uh, to to go around. So those are the big question marks on the infield, uh, at shortstop and catcher. We pretty much know what third base second base, and first base is going to be, uh, and we are going to discuss those positions a little more in depth, although we pretty much know who's going to be playing those positions, so we will do that on the other side of this break here on the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com.
0: Old-school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast.
1: Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your
0: podcasts. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing
1: Welcome back into the Diamond Balls podcast on GoBalls247.com. A very busy week on Rocky Top, a lot going on. Uh, First pitch is just right around the corner. It's practically here, especially with the calendar flipping over to February here in 12 hours. So we are bringing you another baseball preview podcast, previewing the infield Just got done talking about shortstop and catcher. I'm Ben McKee, joined by Wes Rucker and Will Heflin here on the podcast. And before we continue our conversation, would like to encourage you to go like, rate, and review the podcast wherever you do get your podcast. That's how you can help us, and we would greatly appreciate that help as well. Well, Tennessee went out and landed one of the best transfers in the portal in Billy Amick from Clemson. And, uh, Go ahead, sharpie him into the third-base position. Go ahead and sharpie him into the three-hole in the lineup as well.
2: Yep. Not a whole lot to say outside of that other than good job, Tony V and Josh Elander and staff, for landing a great portal piece, and that's the world of college athletics that we live in. You have to supplement your roster with bona fide talent. Um, and experience in the portal to compete and we certainly did that um, at several spots but you know definitely at third base with Billy Amick and I don't know if he's going to hit over 400 in the SEC like he did in the ACC it would be nice if he did but you do know that he's going to produce um, RBIs and, and very very professional at bats Uh just him and kind of reminds me of Christian Moore a little bit mm-hmm. um, the way he can just hit it to all fields. And he's just an athlete in the box. You know, all, all the guys on the fields are, are athletes, but there's certain guys in the box that just look really, really good and really professional. And Billy Amick certainly towards the top of that list. So excited to see him in the correct color of orange. Um, think he made a good decision and he'll certainly contribute and be a part of um a Tennessee run that hopefully gets off to a, a quick start this year, as opposed to last year, gave us, gave us some headaches. We turned, we turned the ship around. um, But, you know, I think he'll help us get off to a really good start and, um, you know, produce a lot of runs.
0: I just find it so fascinating that the, you know, this is more of Clemson's problem than Tennessee's, but how Clemson kind of fumbled the bag there. I mean, that's a legacy, player there i mean you know family was like on the board Uh, and like you know grandfather play you know i think i I had people who played there in the family and like also had like a nascar driver or something in his family too at, at some point there's some interesting stuff i think in his family but bottom line is that family is as clemson orange as it gets like through the family and he was there and he hit like 400 in acc play and then he kind of wasn't in the lineup some in the postseason, and you're like, what? what's happening here? What's going on? And now he's in the portal, and it's like, how did you do that? But, I mean, Tennessee's not complaining because Tennessee got Billy Amick out of the deal. So, yeah, I mean, a, a guy you can plug into third base every day, really good athlete, gives you great at-bats, deep at-bats, take the ball to all fields. I mean, just he's a three-hole hitter. That's what he is, and to be able to plug in a guy like that and go on. I mean, we're we're not sitting here talking about, you know, the unfortunate situation and all that stuff going on with Denton and how big of a deal that is, because it's like Billy Amick's there. So I mean, it, it it's kind of it is what it is, right? Like, okay, he might have been the guy anyway for, for to get more of the at bats there. So that is what the, that is what it is, and man, he's a he's a hell of a player and. You know, we'll see, you know, sometimes guys start the season slow or, you know, they got to adjust, yada, yada, yada. But that dude's just a ball player, man.
2: Yeah, and let's not forget that he wasn't penciled in for for us to get him. Like, you guys kind of knew before the other talking heads in the baseball media knew. Um, a lot of people thought he was going to South Carolina, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. And Tennessee yep. kind of swooped in and and landed that one. So maybe he's our version of of Dalton Connect, you, you know. <laughs> You never know, but that would that would be nice if he could perform at that level. But you're right, Wes. I, I think Zane being away from the team would be much more of a story. And I hate to say it, you know you hate to say that, but it's like that's that's the reality. Is we would be we would have a lot more questions across the whole infield if he wasn't there. Because then you're talking, okay, well maybe Christian Moore has to play third, yep. or you know we have another freshman on the infield, and it's just like. If you have a guy that you can pencil in, it just frees you up um as a coach. and kind of like kind of like shortstop. um but in a different way, it seems like whoever's been there has been rock solid. oh yeah, you know whether it was whether it was Rucker or uh, or Andre before Rucker and then and then Trey Lipscomb obviously had a career year just blew up when he got his time at third base. So third base has kind of been a staple of a Tennessee lineup and and an infield. So, um, you know, having Billy Amick there is, is a nice, nice addition. And we won't truly know how big of a get that was until the end of the year. Um, but I think headed into it, you're certainly feeling 10 times better about your team, knowing he's going to be in the middle of the lineup and playing third base.
1: You you didn't want to give a shout out to Brandon Jenea.
2: Well, Jenea bounced around a little bit. Great guy. Um, the the harsh reality is that he is not quite the player that Rucker or, or Trey Lipscomb or Zane Nettan are, um, but I'm not either, so that's okay.
0: There there are levels in life, you know. There not everybody can be Dalton Connect. You know what I mean? Like that, that was
2: a that was a very professional answer, Will. I, I'm I have not done the media thing, but I've listened to you guys enough, and I just try to follow suit and not get myself. Uh, kicked out of here before I really get a chance to settle in so I just want to take this moment to appreciate you guys for letting me uh, speak my opinions but there are some uh, things that you have to filter and that's just the nature of of media and uh, social media as the world we live in Uh, we can't just get on here and spill all the beans about everything that goes on and all of our true true opinions that may or may not be controversial I don't know
1: and that's what text messages are for. That, that That's what group Except chats.
2: Except Pat Adams. We can talk our minds about Pat Adams. That he had right. the game last night in Tennessee, and I cannot figure out for the life of me why they give him these premier SEC matchups for him to insert himself in. We should have started this podcast by blowing four ticky-tack <laughs> whistles just to piss off everybody and disrupt the flow of the game, disrupt the flow of the podcast. But, yeah, that's my tangent. I, Unbelievable! Refing a basketball game is the hardest job um, of any sport. Football is really hard, but they kind of have their their mechanics and their silos. Like you're focused on one thing, and basketball is is hectic in its nature. But some of those guys, it's like, golly, how are you so bad? Yeah,
0: you ra- was, you rascal, you you bread. rascal, Pat, you old rascal, you old battle axe. Yeah, I'm sure
2: he's a great guy, but golly, no, he it picks the worst times to insert himself. Yeah, and
0: really it, in every game. In every game, at some point, it will become the Pat show just for a little bit. Just for a little bit at least. It's like, hey, 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 Pat's here. Hey, Pat's here. Yeah, that's that's him. Ask Jeron Mayman, who, you know, who single who got that ridiculous technical for no reason and completely changed that Tennessee Florida SEC tournament game years ago. Like Pat's been doing this for years. Like Jordy McRae, used to say all the time, just Pat's on some Pat stuff right now.
1: Across from Billy Amick, who he will be throwing the baseball to, is the one and the only Blake Burke, who will be relied upon in this lineup quite heavily this season, just like he was last season. Uh, Blake did go through a bit of a slump last year and uh, did did break out of it towards the end of the season. Um, But I asked him about it publicly last week when he met with the media and he he said he was doing too much which we all knew he was trying to do too much at the time i if i remember correctly he said that uh, publicly in, in post-game interviews and uh, tony talked about it uh, as well and and uh, you could see it in the box i mean there were times where i mean he kind of looked like a softball hitter up there trying to slap bunt mm-hmm. at, at times he's just he was all over the place he, he was very antsy and uh just wasn't trusting himself and and he talked about that is something he has tried to work on this offseason, season is trusting his work, trusting his swing, and just doing what he does, and not trying to to overthink. Because when he overthinks, that's what gets him in trouble. And and that's that's an issue for every baseball player that's ever played baseball is is overthinking. It's a game of failure, and it, and there's so many different mechanics that go into this or that that it, that it's hard not to overthink, but. Uh, I, I'm sure Blake is is primed for a, a big season again, and uh, Tennessee is certainly going to need his production will there in the middle of the lineup. I'm not quite sure where he'll end up batting. Um, maybe he's in the four hole. Uh, he did look comfortable in the six or seven hole last year, but that was also after he was struggling a little bit, and ideally you don't want Blake that low in the lineup to me. Um, but I, I think, man, if, if you could pencil him in behind Billy in that three, four hole, situation, uh then then there's gonna be a lot of runs produced right there in the middle, especially with Simo somewhere. Although uh the last couple of times I've seen Simo play, he's he's been leading off. So I, I don't know if that's just nothing that needs to be looked into or or not. But I like him there. You know, yeah, that that's an interesting look um for sure. But I also like the idea of having Semo in in a spot to to drive in runs. But hey, if if you got Billy Amick and Blake Burke, maybe you don't know, maybe you can afford to to bat Semo leadoff. Will what what are your thoughts on, uh, what Tennessee needs from from Blake this year and and kind of his importance to the lineup?
2: Yeah, he's vital. And I, in terms of the lineup, I really like, and I know V typically does a good job of of doing this. So I like a right left, right left as as best you can. Mm-hmm. Um. And if you've got the pieces to to pull that off, then you can tinker with it and and mix and match. But uh, somewhere in the middle, you know, I think we even saw Burke at a, in a two hole slot at one point last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you mentioned his his cold streak that he went through, and he certainly did. And um, trying too hard is an easy thing to to do as a hitter in baseball. But I'm I'm going to give him some slack and and try to defend him on that a little bit just because early in the year if you guys remember most of the lineup was really struggling like as a as a unit tennessee offensively started really slow last year especially compared to the year before except for burke he was carrying everything like it was his homers and his doubles were sometimes the only run support that we got and so that can weigh on you and when you feel like you have to do that every single game you can spiral yourself into a trying-too-hard mentality very, very quickly. And so I think, you know, hitting is so contagious. He, I certainly think that he's going to have a big year, but I almost think having a little bit more help will help him a ton um, and kind of take a little bit of weight off. And it's easy to say this, like, sitting at home or or watching. It's like, dude, you're so strong, you don't even have to get it to, to hit it out of the park or, or to hit a double. So just flick the thing, just make contact. Like he can miss hit a ball to the opposite field and hit it out of the park. Whereas somebody like us, we get every last stitch of the baseball and it's still not going out unless it's bull side or something like that. So he's, he's a freak in terms of his pure hit tool and and power ability. Um, So you just, you just hope that a, he starts um, starts well, like he did last year. And then, you know it, it almost becomes like he's trying less as the season goes on because he's getting so much support around him and um he doesn't feel the the weight necessarily that he felt last year but certainly the expectations are high he's probably going to break the home run record sooner rather than later um and so you just you kind of want to avoid that feeling that we got last year of oh I'm I'm in a cold slump I got to do something to get myself out of it like I'd like to see a little bit more um passiveness almost at the plate from him and and that's kind of a hard thing to say because you want to be aggressive and you want to you know get the first good one you see but he has a he has a good ability similar to Christian Moore that when he's right he can make an at bat really really tough on a pitcher um and just spit on some really good pitches and then he gets that mistake and you don't have that baseball anymore so it's <laughs> yeah. um it's you know he's he's certainly going to be in the middle somewhere i i tend to like him at, at four or five, however the the right-left uh, splits go. But I could see him bouncing around certainly early in the year until you find the, the lineup that seems to click the best.
0: Yeah, I think maybe last year he just kind of – some guys when they go – when they're such good players and they go in a little bit of a funk, it can really, really, really bother them because it, they're just not used to it. Like I, I can't imagine during Blake Burke's career he had that many – moments where he wasn't just mashing baseballs you know like i just can't imagine there's been that many times in his life he's faced a level of player even though he played at a really good school i just can't imagine there's been times where he's had moments like that and he's like i'm blake burke why am i not hitting why am i not hitting right now and i think that's when you got he got really in his own head and started to do some of the slap stuff and all the other stuff and it's like dude just go up there and put the barrel on the ball you, you're, 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 you're a donkey, man. It's going to go a billion miles when you hit it. Just, just put the barrel on it. You you don't have to try to hit it that far. It, it'll go, you, you know, just, just let the ball travel, take it the other way when you have to, whatever you got to do. But, but don't, don't think too much out there. Like, don't, don't, y- you got to be smart, you know, at least baseball smart to be pretty good at baseball, but you, you don't want to think too much, man. You'll, you'll start tying up your feet when in your head, when you're doing that stuff, you can't, you just got to go up there and play the game, and I don't know. Last year, you know, there it just became the, like this big event when he was at the plate early in the year. Right? I was like, "Oh my God, how many homers is this dude going to hit this year?" And and it became like a social media phenomenon. Like, here's another just absolute bomb that he hit today, and then he started to struggle, and you're like, you start to feel like you're Superman, and then you're 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 out of it for a while, and I think that just can bother you, so. I think the end of last season came. It was good for him. Obviously, he you would have rather won the national championship. but but he got to reset for a little bit, go play some summer ball, clear his head a little bit. And I, I'm interested to see what he looks like to open the season because he is he is as fun to watch in at the plate as as anybody I can remember in terms of you just never know when he might hit one damn near 500 feet it's just it's possible he might do it and and so he could do it like that uh remember that bomb that the uh the the bc first baseman hit last year still the i mean uh, that that thing he hit a couple later in the year too. because i started paying attention to him after that series uh after that game my god that thing he hit last year was like a helton shot in knoxville i mean you know burke can do that kind of stuff it's fun and so just go out there and play the game, man. A four hundred, Like a 340-foot home run counts just the same as a 440-foot home run. But, you know, it's fun to watch the 440. But, you know, you ain't got to do that, Blake Burke. Just go in there and hit, man. You'll be all right.
1: And I think the good thing for Blake is, is that he's got some competition this year as well. Uh, you, you can write with a pen Blake Burke into the lineup to start the season, uh, but maybe have – some whiteout nearby if he were to go into the slump uh, that he went into last year. Now, I'm not saying that I think Blake's going to go into a slump. I, I don't think that's going to happen. It's a, it's a last draft
0: year, year, right? I mean, you know, he can get in his head.
1: But last year when he went into that slump, Tennessee didn't have any other options to play at first base. It, it was it was Blake Burke. And, and this year they do have another option in Robin Villanueva the Frenchman from Quebec who I'm telling you right now, I'm not starting him over Blake Burke, but I would have a very, very hard time opening weekend not having him in the lineup at DH. He just continues to hit, and the guys love him. Coaching staff loves him. Tony talked about him publicly last week when I asked about him, and, I mean, Tony started laughing and smiling as soon as he heard me say Robin's name. I wasn't even done with my question and I mentioned Robin's name and Tony started smirking and, and laughing and, and it's because they love being around this guy. I mean, he he is uh just an awesome personality, great locker room guy. I mean, he, he is terrific in, in that sense, but that that's not all that he is. He, he he has a lot of pop in that bat of his and he's he showed it quite a bit. I and again, anybody who kept up with my fall baseball coverage they know that I was a big fan of Robin in the fall as well. I, I thought he had a really nice fall, uh, even while dealing with a bit of a, I think it was a quad injury. He he, he dealt with a little bit of something that slowed him down just a touch, uh, missed a couple of days. But uh, other than that, he he just hit the lights out of the ball uh, in the fall. And uh, yesterday he had a home run as well and, and had a single. Uh, so he, he's a guy that, uh, he, he's a first baseman. He he was listed as a right-handed pitcher as well on on the fall roster, but I have not seen him throw a single pitch. Uh, if he is thrown, it, it's been on a random bullpen uh, when they are not scrimmaging. Uh, but he and I've only seen him work at first base, so he seems like a first base DH option. That's Blake Burke's spot. It it absolutely is. But in terms of that DH spot, I would have a very very difficult time. Leaving Robin Villanueva out of the out of the lineup will that that opening weekend. And here's the other thing, he's got a lot of pop in the bat, and it's from the right side, which Tennessee Tennessee needs that right-handed bat. That was also something that they were missing another option at first base last year. More importantly, they were missing uh, at bats from the right side of the plate as well.
2: Yeah, that's huge to have, and it's good you brought a guy like. Up because there's always, always, always going to be someone that maybe even name doesn't even get mentioned on any of these podcasts who ends up being a huge contributor. Um, it's just inevitable. There's there's injuries, there's slumps. Somebody goes off in the midweek and Vitello gives them an opportunity on the weekend, and they just they grab the reins and they never let go. Um, last year it was kind of Christian Scott and also a little bit of dryling and, and tears at times. Um, but you you need somebody to step up that doesn't necessarily look like one of your your top contributors on paper headed into the season, and it's it's ultimately going to happen. So it could certainly be him. Um, and that's not to say he'll overtake Blake Burke, but he he may find find his way onto the field um, somewhere else or, or DH, like you said, because in the SEC we all know that if you want to be in the lineup, you got to hit, and uh, if you do hit, it's hard to keep you. Hard to keep you out of the lineup. So that's the the glorious nature of of Tony Vitello and his recruiting prowess and the state of the roster that we have currently. It's also the hardest part of his job because he's got to make some really tough decisions. And we'll see three different lineups in in Minute Maid. Um, and so, you know, if, if you are high on him and sounds like V is too, then I would bet uh, that we'll definitely see him at some point opening weekend as well as maybe some others. Um, who have earned at least an opportunity.
0: Yeah, th- again, he's Villanueva is one of the biggest reasons why I think there's so much pressure on Cal Stark in a way because you really want peoples in the lineup and you really want Villanueva in the lineup. And that means that, it's, you know what I mean, like sometimes there's going to be times where you, you want both those guys in the lineup. How do you do that? Well, you put Villanueva DH, you catch Peebles, and that's how you that's how you get both those bats in the lineup. So, um, you need a lot of guys throughout the course of a season. And, and I don't know the the X factor there for me. And Ben, you may know this; certainly, wouldn't have a better chance of knowing it than I would right now. But how well Villanueva can serve as a DH? Like some guys have to be in the in like playing defense in the game to hit better. Some guys can naturally be poppy ortiz and go in there and just kind of chill for a couple you know for an hour and then hit chill for an hour and then hit not everybody can do that you know griffin merritt talked about how he didn't like it but he, he did it all right but he didn't he, he didn't love it because it was different because you're just kind of standing there for a bit and you're going to the cage and getting a couple swings in and it's just a weird weird thing to do for guys who have probably been playing in the field their whole life so it's a different role and that's i don't think ever talked about as much by non-baseball people i think that's one of the biggest things that that non-baseball people don't understand about the sport is that you got to you ha- you have to have a different mindset as a dh the whole game is different so if he can do that though then yeah plug him in
2: do you guys remember um gosh he played at auburn he was a third baseman he's from canada julian um what was his first name edward julian i can't remember but
1: nothing along those lines i know you're talking about i I think he's
2: in I think he's been up and down in the in the big leagues now but anyways i remember him being a part of that uh omaha run that auburn made and it seems like they go to omaha every other year and nobody ever talks about him but Mm -hmm. that's neither here nor there um He he was from Canada. I think he was also from Quebec. So maybe Villanueva is our version of Julian, and he will be a big leaguer. And we need some Canadian flair in the SEC. You know, we got too many guys from Georgia, and we got Florida, and we got you know East Tennessee guys, which is a way better baseball mecca than people probably realize outside of this podcast. Agreed, um, listeners. But. You, you just need a little bit of Canadian flair, and I think that's probably part of the reason he's so well liked in the locker room. Um, never met the kid, but I'd be willing to guess that he just brings a, a different perspective, um, and and certainly a different culture and, and background. So, and Christian Moore's from Brooklyn that's not the same as Canada, but that's that's North, you know. And Vitello has what about Blake Burke N- and the California boys. Yeah, but California is kind of like. Every team's got California that's guys. A, that's such a baseball. Yeah. Every team, every team that I was ever on, whether it was summer ball or even at Tennessee, there was always at least one, one or two guys from Cali, if not more, especially with, with Serrano. Um, he was a Cali guy. So there were, there were plenty of Cali guys on the roster. But I don't know something about those Canadians, man, like Joe, Joey Vado. Um, they just, they don't get to play much up there because of the weather. But when they do play, uh, they typically have a, a different approach and a little bit different style. So I'm excited to see how the Canadian does for for the vols. Maybe he uh, maybe he turns that into some sort of Nil uh, deal and becomes becomes popular in that way. I don't know. I'm just talking the, the, the
0: crapage, the 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 French market, the crepes downtown, I'm telling you they need to make it happen.
1: Or or some form of syrup company, maple syrup or or something along. French fries. I'm he right. French
2: fries. And growing up, you know those guys are tough. I, I'd be willing to bet that he's he's not afraid to get in front of a ball and take one off the nose and be bleeding everywhere and be like, "Oh, I'm good. I don't even know. Yeah. Like I didn't know I was bleeding. You know." I'm, so I'm good, you, guys. you need some need some Canadian juice on your team. It,
1: I'm I'm fascinated to see the type of season that he has because I I, I think he has real X-factor potential. I, I really think he's somebody that, Will, you, you've mentioned several times the last two weeks uh, about guys that aren't being talked about a ton but likely ends up being a major contributor. I think that's one who the fans aren't as familiar with because he's a newcomer, juco guy, wasn't a highly ranked prospect. But I'm telling you, when, when I've seen him, all he does is hit, and he what, hits What homers.
2: junior college did he play at?
1: I don't know off the top of my head. It was one that I'd never heard of um, before. So uh but he I think he had twenty-seven home runs there last okay. year. Yeah, that that's it. Only twenty, only twenty-seven. So we'll we'll see. I mean, he's again, he's gotta go out and, and prove it. It's gotta translate to the games. There are so many guys that that are trying to earn that DH spot. Uh, I mean, we talked about it in the outfield that there's going to be somebody left out that could also be the D.H. we talked about it at catcher. Um, And and then there's infielders as well. I I could see a a young guy that doesn't start up the middle like an Ariel Antigua or a Dean Curley getting at bats or an Alex Perry getting at bats at at D.H. Dalton Bargo, we talked about him a ton and kind of his versatility. Uh, So Robin's going to have plenty of competition for that D.H. spot. Uh, but again, just just from what I've seen, I'm not around the program every single day. I don't know every single thing that obviously goes on between those walls. But from what I've seen in the fall and carrying over into the spring and hearing his teammates talk about him and his coaches talk about him, I would have a very hard time keeping him out of the lineup on opening day. But you also made a great point, Will, in that Tony Vitello is going to write out a different lineup all three games in in, in Arlington and I guarantee you Robin is the starting DH in one of those games, and it'll be up to him to make the most of that opportunity. Uh, everybody's going to get opportunities the first month, month and a half of the season, and it'll be up to them uh, to take advantage of that and try and earn a spot going into SEC play. Uh, two players that we need to mention on the way out the door, uh, two, two youngsters, uh, I guess a couple of youngsters actually. Uh, Camden Bates is a middle infielder. Uh, who I think Tennessee really likes. Uh, He was working at shortstop and second base yesterday with Alex Perry and Ariel Antigua, uh, not available because of their injuries. Uh, I I don't expect him to have much of a role on this team just because there is so much depth, Uh, but he is a guy that has stood out back in the fall and and in the spring as well and and somebody to keep an eye out for uh, down the road. Uh, even yesterday he had a couple of nice plays in the field, and I think he had a, a base hit as well or, or drew a walk. So Camden Bates is is somebody to keep an eye out for in, in the future. Uh, Blake Grimmer is a first baseman, third baseman, uh, a likely redshirt candidate this this year if I had to guess. Uh, Hunter High is – he now he was in left field, right field yesterday when I saw him. Um, but I, I do. He ha, I do believe he has the ability to maybe slide in the infield and play some in the infield as well. He's from over in the mid-state, uh, from Lipscomb Academy, uh, and and he's got a his uh, batting stance and, and kind of his his ticks in the box remind me of Jared Dickey uh, in the sense of kind of got a little Kevin Euclid to his swing, a little spread out and, and bat kind of up in the air. Now, his hand placement isn't Kevin Euclid, but in, in terms of the, the the legs kind of being spread and, and the bat up in the air, um, very Jared Dickius, Dicky-ish, uh, with the way he kind of moves around in, in the box as well. And I don't literally mean a slap hitter like softball, but I I, I every time I watch Hunter High hit, it's just kind of, slapping and, and poking it out there very much like Jared Dickey did and just spraying it to to all areas of the field. Uh, I, I don't expect him to have much of a role on this team, again, because there's so much depth and, and veteran depth uh, above him. But did want to mention those guys uh, on the way out the door, uh, a couple of freshmen who who we did not mention, uh, who need to be mentioned because they are infielders. Uh, and then lastly, Heflin, I, I think Ethan Payne has, has been playing baseball since. Hell years, yeah. Right?
2: Yeah, I played several years with
1: Payne, which is saying something because you're now several years removed from playing no, yourself. I was there last year. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had hair last year too. Um, but Ethan Payne, I mean, he he is he has a a role on this team. I absolutely think he has a role in this team. Uh, I think what you saw him do in the postseason, especially against Clemson in that 14 inning affair, I think that's what you're going to see from Ethan. You're just going to see more of it this season. Uh, a guy who can play any infield position in a pinch, a guy who can come in and run bases, a guy that can, heck, if you needed to pinch hit somebody and lay down a bunt, he'll do that for you. Uh, and and he is a very gritty baseball player. He's going to give you a competitive at bat. You can probably even stick him out in the outfield if you need to. And, and again, we talk about locker room guys with Robin Villanueva and Charlie Taylor. From my understanding, Ethan Payne is, is – well-liked amongst his teammates as well
2: yeah he always has been he could certainly play um in the infield or outfield i've seen him do both but he's he's kind of one of those guys like we've talked about that maybe isn't penciled in right now um but if he was an everyday guy two months down the road i wouldn't be blown away by it um just he if he hits when he gets his opportunity or somebody gets hurt He's a guy who could slide in. And like you said, very high baseball acumen, good base runner, gritty defender. Um, just a, I think he played football in high school, just a tough kid coming in and has always kind of been one of those program guys that V really likes, um, doesn't have the the standout professional tool um, like most of our, our recruits have these days. Uh, but he's one of those guys that you need so we'll just we'll just kind of see he's he's a guy that you want to have you like to have and if he ends up playing then great and if he ends up um, serving other roles as a supplemental player then then that's good too but he's um he's certainly going to add value to the program whatever he's doing
1: Yes you, you want several Ethan Paynes on your team so uh, Ethan Payne will contribute to this team. As well. And I do think he's one of the leaders on the team, even if he isn't as known as maybe some of the other guys that you have. So uh, ran a little long on the podcast, as we tend to do, because all three of us like to talk, especially Wes and myself. Um, but there's a lot to talk about with this baseball team. It's all Tony's fault that these podcasts are are, are running long. If he wasn't recruiting as well as he is and bringing in so many talented guys and having so much depth, we wouldn't have so much to talk about. So that's the way that uh, I look at it. We'll be back next Wednesday probably for another lengthy podcast to discuss Will Heflin's room, the pitching rotation, Frank Anderson's uh, new-look staff that has some familiar faces coming back but also – uh, Frank and, and Richard have several roles that they need to figure out how to fill. So uh, for Will Heflin and Wes Rucker, we greatly appreciate everybody tuning in. And we will talk to you all next week. I'm Ben McKee. This has been another edition of the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com.
0: There's that button. And now I can say thank you for listening to this edition of the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Westrucker 24 7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24 7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P Brown 24 7 for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs and that's after a quick free trial and once you pay us that reasonable rate which is again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, which is an excellent growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, You also get just Tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That, that is so much stuff, so much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys.
1: The time has come for drag queens to save the world. Drag
0: queens save.
1: RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount+, and for the first time
0: ever, I want you to use your talent for good for a change. (laughs) Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay
1: it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars,
0: new season streaming May 17th exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms of five.